is that unhealthy foods that have no nutrients and they're very calorically dense that perpetuate these chronic diseases that are so accessible, that are, you know, in your face everywhere you turn. These are all foods that were ultimately subsidized by the government. These are commodity products that have, you know, basically made America fat and sick. What if I told you that you had the power to change your life today just by choosing what you will eat next? Welcome to the podcast, Eat Your Best Life, where together through interviews and conversations, we dig deep into the power of plant-based nutrition and other lifestyle changes in enhancing your life both physically and spiritually. If you are ready to level up concerning your health, then this is the show for you. I am your host, Cersei Blue. Let's do this. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Eat Your Best Life. I'm your host, Cersei Blue, aka The Faithful Vegan. Just a reminder, please subscribe, rate, and write a review for this podcast on iTunes as it helps us to serve a larger audience. I hang out on Instagram at thefaithful.vegan, and I'm also on Facebook at The Faithful Vegan. Also, please don't forget this podcast has a private Facebook group called Eat Your Best Life, so you can join there to extend the conversation. Also, we will be closing out season two of the podcast this month. Can you believe it? The time has gone by so quickly and season three will be coming out sometime late this summer. So look out for that. In the meantime, I'm going to be doing Facebook and Instagram lives so you can follow me to get updates on that. Today, I have a great episode for you with two amazing ladies. I had the opportunity to have a roundtable discussion with Alyssa Nash, who is a published author and the founder of thatiswhatido.com, a strategic marketing firm for small business owners. I also had the privilege of having a conversation with Gigi Carter from the platform My True Self. She is a nutritionist and author, and she helps people and organizations develop action plans to achieve sustainable wellness. In this episode, we talk about COVID-19 and the disparities in the Black community. We also talk about ways to promote change from a policy perspective, as well as from a personal responsibility perspective. We talk about different strategies to improve health in the Black community. This episode is thought-provoking and builds awareness around health and food disparities in the Black community. So without further ado, let me introduce you to the Pioneers for Change, Alyssa Nash and Gigi Carter. Hey, Alyssa and Gigi, it's such a pleasure to have you guys on the show, and I'm so excited. I'm excited, too. Yeah, thanks for having us. Wonderful, wonderful. So today is such an exciting episode um, because I think it's going to uh, give a lot of knowledge. There's a lot going on in the world right now um, with COVID-19 and just all of the changes. Um, But there's an issue that has come up um, recently in terms of the COVID-19 in the Black community. Um, And so we're going to talk a little bit or just everything around COVID-19, the Black community, how we can um, inspire, um, promote change, whatever it is, we're just going to talk about it all today on this episode. Um, And so before we do that, I wanted Alyssa and Gigi to 
go ahead and introduce themselves. Kind of tell a little bit about your story, your background, how you, um, you know, how, what brought you here to this conversation and how you got here and what are your passions um, and just give us a little bit of background. I guess we could start with you, Alyssa Nash, um, if you just tell us a little bit about yourself before we jump in. Okay, thank you. Uh, my name is Alyssa Nash, and I am working as a marketer currently for a company called ThatIsWhatIDo.com. My background, however, was in learning and development, particularly diversity and inclusion. Um, we came to this moment because I was a little perplexed by the direction of some of the coverage of the disparities between the deaths in the Black community versus everyone else from COVID-19. Um, I totally agree and support the idea that you have to make sure the powers that be are aware of inequities in the moment so they can address them. My issue was that it was so one-sided and it felt as if they were talking at and about people I knew and loved rather than to us. I didn't hear very much that was empowering in the way that the coverage was being um, introduced, where I saw it as an opportunity to empower people to look at the way that they the choices they make can influence some of these outcomes. So a, a top down and a bottom up approach, in my opinion, would be more beneficial and effective. So I thought that this was a good opportunity to discuss better eating habits because of what's going on. And I work with Gigi and I knew that that was her field of expertise. So I gave her a call and asked her if I could post a blog on her website. That's how we started. Wonderful. And we'll get into your article because um, you wrote an article called Rations No More Reclaiming Our Health After COVID-19. And I guess we could talk a little bit about that um, as we get into it. But Gigi, go ahead. Gigi Carter, go ahead and uh, introduce yourself. Yeah. Thank you, Cersei. My name is Gigi Carter. I am a licensed nutritionist. I'm also a certified personal trainer. I'm founder and owner of MyTrueSelf.com. Um, my story actually began... Um, back in 2007 when I was diagnosed with high cholesterol and a doctor wanted to put me on a statin drug. Um, I resisted and um, learned that you could actually reverse your chronic disease with, with food, um, with diet and lifestyle, specifically a whole food plant-based diet. Um, at the time, I was resistant to the change because quite frankly, I didn't want to give up my meat, dairy, and eggs. Um, I just felt like if I did that, the quality of my life would go down. Um, somehow I had my identity tied up with the food that I was eating. And it took me about five years to get to a point where I was just flat out sick and tired of being sick and tired and um, decided to transition to a vegetarian diet. Um, and then watched two documentaries back to back. One was Forks Over Knives, and then the other one was Earthlings. And I got to a point where I just said, I'm done. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm already vegetarian. I'm going to go ahead and get rid of the 
the egg, the eggs and the dairy. And I walked into my kitchen and told my husband I was going vegan. And to my delight and surprise, he said, I'll do it with you. And so um, that was really, this was July, 2012. So almost coming up on eight years. And I completely reversed my chronic disease condition. I gained all this energy. I literally didn't know what to do with myself. So I became an athlete at the age of 42. I started cycling and then racing competitively. And um, in 2016, left my corporate career after about 22 years and um, went back to school to earn a master's in nutrition sciences. And then in 2018, after graduating, I launched my business, wrote a book called The Plant-Based Workplace. And here we are today. Oh, wow. Awesome stories. Um, so, so let's jump in. So what do you feel are some of the key elements that needs to be discussed as we talk about the Black community and COVID-19? Where do we begin? Who wants to jump in? Well, I think that we need to find an approach that empowers and not blames or, or makes people be defensive about changing their eating habits. What I tried to do with the article was trace it back and point out that the Black American diet is not necessarily built on our cultural heritage because that was stripped away during our captivity. That if you go back to the natural African diet, which you can find online, a lot of it was plant-based. We weren't eating pork and, you know, the, the bad cuts of meat that we were given when we came here. So rather than people feel as if we're trying to tell them what to eat, to point out that people who did not have your best interest at heart told you what to eat a long time ago, and you're still doing that. All we're suggesting is look into it, think about it, figure out is this really what you want to eat now that you have a choice. Mm-hmm. And Gigi, I'm, I'm guessing that you could probably get deep into the idea that um, like Alyssa was saying, we have this power of choice to choose what we will eat, but there's just so much um, evidence-based research out there that is pointing, um, you know, the yellow brick road home to a whole food plant-based diet. And just how can, um, how can we make this palatable to the Black community, a whole food plant-based diet? I know that they were saying that the Black community actually is the fastest growing community when it comes to being vegan, but we still have a long ways to go. And so from your background, with all the advocacy that you do in terms of you know, promoting a whole food plant-based diet for the reversal of chronic disease, and this is so tied to COVID-19, how do we make it palatable? What do you suggest? I think the biggest thing that we can do that we need to do is provide social proof. And one of the things that I've been doing, and if you go to my blog and look at the personal stories that I share, a lot of them are of people of color in them, you know, taking ownership and control of their health. I, I think what the black community needs are more examples, more, um, 
you know, stories to show that you can do this. You can take control of your health, whether, you know, regardless of your income level, you know, these are foods that you can purchase at Piggly Wiggly. You can purchase, I mean, I, I adopted a whole food plant-based diet while I was living in Mississippi. So I, you know, quite frankly, got a lot of my food either from the farmer's market or from the Kroger at the time, there was no Whole Foods in Jackson, Mississippi. Um, so I would go, you know, to pretty much, you know, whatever store I could go to and buy fresh produce, buy legumes. We're talking about, you know, dark leafy greens or a rainbow of different colors, squashes, beans, you know, whole grains, lentils. These are all foods that are pretty accessible regardless of where you shop, whether it's a Walmart, a Piggly Wiggly, a Kroger, a Giant Eagle, a Whole Foods, a Trader Joe's. These are all foods that you can get pretty much anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so important by um, visibility, seeing is believing, um, and just getting the message out. So tell us about um, my true self. How are you getting that out into the community? Yeah, I, I do that a, a variety of different ways. One, again, is through the blogs um, and the articles and the personal profiles that I that I offer and share. I do that through um, social media. Um, I join a lot of, I'm a member of a lot of the, um, you know, vegan beginner groups, um, you know, black vegan groups, um, and as well as just giving talks in the community, I've given numerous talks in the community to anyone that wants to show up for free. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and so there's usually, you know, there's outreach both, you know, in person, um, as well as, you know, through social media. Um, those are kind of my two main channels. Um, and then I support other people who are, who are doing the same thing. So, you know, there are contacts that I've made, quite frankly, through the profiles that I've covered on my website at mytrueself.com, where I've developed a rapport with people who are doing just that, and I support them with what they're doing. So if they have a Facebook group that they've started in their community, you know, I'm posting, you know, videos, I'm posting information, I'm answering questions. So there's a lot of support that I give for people you know, who are curious or have committed to go down the path. Yeah. And and I know and when this recently came out in the media, I know the media spent a lot of time, and I think, Alyssa, you probably can give us more insight into this, but the, uh, the media spent a lot of time talking about um, the inequalities, the structural, the systemic racism um, that's showing up in our healthcare and in our economic systems. Um, and so there was not much talk about the community taking responsibility, individual health choices, because I think what happens with that conversation is that they're usually presented as opposing solutions, right? And I feel yeah. like we have falsely framed that debate um, because it's really not either or, or, or. I think that we as the Black community and other, you know, just the community at large, we can insist upon structural reform while at the same time, you know, promoting the positive personal lifestyle changes that each individual have. So can you guys both speak to that? Alyssa, maybe you could talk from the policy side. 
you know, because we're, we're on two, two different sides of the same coin fighting the same battle, what mm-hmm. can be done on the policy side? Um, and uh, Gigi, what can be done in terms of really holding people accountable for what they're putting in their mouth to really ramp it up? Because I think with COVID-19 and what we're seeing happening with the whole chronic disease, it's, it's, it's a conversation that a lot of people weren't having before. You know, a lot of times people were on blood pressure medication or they were a diabetic and they were going to dialysis, but it wasn't a conversation that we were having. And so now that, you know, everything has been ripped of off, we're exposed and we're kind of wanting to have the conversation now because our, we want to live. So mm-hmm. if you guys could talk to that. So for me, on the political side, I do think that we did a pretty good job of keeping it front and center in the media and with our politicians. And we are starting to see, I think I heard Kamala Davis, like yesterday, putting some legislation into place to formally study the disparities on healthcare in the Black community. But I really want to put a lot of energy into also making sure that we're empowered to do our part because nobody feeds our kids but us. So we are able to control without any legislation what's on our plates. Mm-hmm. Right. So, but for example, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, so, I mean, I don't, I'm not a politician, so I don't want to act as if I know any more than anyone else. I know what I read and I follow it. But I also know that when you're exposing your family to something different, all of us individually make up the collective. So we can go to our church and, you know, you have a potluck, you're going to bring something. Choose to bring something that's more plant-based. You know, it changes one meal at a time. And as people taste some of these dishes, and get over the perception that it's just going to be raw vegetables or I don't want to eat salads all the time. I, I belong to a Black business group in Charlotte, North Carolina called the Small Business Consortium. And we have vendors who come in and cater every other month for our, our luncheons. We started out with a vegan caterer just for the vegan people. And at this point, so many people who are not vegans try to go to that vegan caterer that we had to put controls into place because once they smelled that food a lot of it was caribbean based or african based spicy it smelled good they wanted the food it's just a matter of letting people experience it and getting over misconceptions so that's kind of my passion it's just Let's just empower ourselves to go out there and do what we can do for ourselves and fight the battle in City Hall. Yeah, and I'd be interested to know what exactly, I guess you're saying it's going to be an investigative report, but I'm so mm-hmm. curious. I mean, there's battles that are being fought that kind of trickle into the Black community. Um, you know, you talk about school lunches, which is horrific. And I know California has made a lot of changes in terms of um, making plant-based meals available for the children. But even that particular area is, is an area that, you know, we can lobby together as a community because, you know, poorer neighborhoods, you know, lower economic neighborhoods, a lot of times they're depending on the school to give them breakfast, lunch. And if they stay in those after school programs, a lot of them are even eating dinner there. Yes. But a lot of times the kind of foods that they're feeding and funneling, I think 
our whole system can benefit. But of course, you know, even just changing the lunch program and, and, and providing healthy meals to our children, you know, is just something that came to me when I when I heard you speaking. I was like, yeah, that's so true. There's, you know, there's so many ways that we can lobby and trickle and it trickles down, mm-hmm. you know, into that. I was going to say, even some of the work that Michelle Obama was able to do when they were in office towards school lunches has been walked walked back (laughs) recently. So we're losing a little ground there. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm hoping we get it back. Yeah. I, I I think food policy overall needs just a huge overhaul um, because they're, you know, and and there might have been there might have been good intentions when it was originally set up to make food more affordable. But what's happened is that unhealthy foods that have no nutrients and they're very calorically dense that perpetuate these chronic diseases that are so accessible, that are you know, in your face, everywhere you turn. These are all foods that were ultimately subsidized by the government. These are commodity products that have, you know, basically made America fat and sick. Um, And it's especially so in the Black community. And when you take poor food policy coupled with, and here's where I, and I'm not a politician either, but kind of when I listen to the narrative of um, politicians talk, they talk about, and, 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 and I get this and it, and, and it's, there's some validity to it, but they, they ignore the other part of it, which is when they're talking about access to healthcare, it's, it's oftentimes post chronic disease. So can they monitor, can they manage their high blood glucose? You know, can people, you know, it's not so much on the prevention side, it's more on the management, the medical management uh, or the sick care side. And that's where, that's where, you know, from my standpoint, knowing that food is medicine, I get a little frustrated with politicians because they only focus on that one piece. They never, I've yet to hear a politician talk about prevention and looking at the food that's sitting on our plate and what we're putting into our bodies. There's very little talk about that. It's always about the management of the disease after the fact. So I think that what we need to do is we need to go to places where, um, you know, and I'm thinking about like black churches, I'm thinking about even, you know, salons, you know, nail salons, hair salons. I mean, that's not much of a case right now because things are, you know, closed down, but I'm just, (laughs) but my point is, is that, you know, getting in front of black people and, and to Alyssa's point, giving exposure to how delicious and wonderful these Mm. foods are and how they, how they nourish your body, they nourish your mind, they nourish your spirit and how transformative they can be and making them aware, giving that exposure, providing that social proof and those stories that connect with them. It's like they, they can, when you read some of these stories, it's like, you can see, I could see myself in some of these people, you know, that I'm profiling and that makes that connection that plants the seed 
And then when I go to the meeting that Alyssa's catering with that delicious Caribbean vegan food, then that adds to it. And then before you know it, mm-hmm. I'm, con- you know, I'm convinced. And yes, I'm, I'm yes. All in. <laughs> yes, that's so true. Because I, I, I heard, I, I think I was reading an article and they were just talking about the, the Black community has a unique gift of influencing um, pop culture. You know, and so one of the things the article was saying is that we have to make plant-based sexy. You know, I know Beyonce and that had gone out and did this whole plant-based movement, but it's things like that because if we're able to influence on other areas, you know, what a difference would it make if, you know, we could kind of, like you said, provide that social proof, you know, and I think we're in a an opportunity now where, I think the ears are going to be different. I think people are willing to listen more because, you know, there's a lot of people that are are very successful. It, it's not something, it's not even about whether you're successful or whether you're poor economics. The fact is, if you have this chronic disease, if you are, you're a victim to it. And I think a lot of people are seeing that now and saying, you know what, I gotta, I gotta take responsibility for my health. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was almost like it was normalized for a lot of people. I know I grew up hearing about the sugar and my pressure is up. Like, that's just a normal part of aging. Right. Um, and it took a while to recognize that, no, it doesn't have to be this way. This is just, you know, there are things that we do that contribute to it. So yeah. moving away from that normalization and normalizing health and strength and not just looking young, but feeling young. So it doesn't matter if the black cracks, if the internal is all messed up. You want to feel young, not just look young. Yes, that's that's so important. It's true. I think, yeah, that's so true. It's like you kind of grow up thinking this is the way it is. And I think, and this, this is what you were talking about, Gigi, is really getting the evidence out there, um, showing that, you know, and I think a lot of times people think that when they're taking their blood pressure medication or they're on insulin, that the problem is actually resolved. And I don't know if you mm-hmm. want to talk a little bit about that, Gigi, but it's actually not dealing with the root cause. It's just managing the symptom, but not the actual recovery of the root cause. And yeah, so a lot yeah. of people think that. So now that we're in a pandemic and they're like, well, I'm on my meds. I thought everything was good. Am I really compromised? Yeah, you're still compromised because the medication is only, you know, it's it's only managing. It's not curing. And I think a lot of people didn't understand that. So I don't know if you want to talk more about that, Gigi. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a term called health span. And health span is a term used to describe the years that you're living disease free. So there's lifespan, which everyone's familiar with, you know, it's the time from when you're born to the time that you die. And then there's the term health span, which is within that. So what that means is that the difference between the two is basically your sick years. Those are the years in which you're on medication and you're managing your disease condition and you're, you're forking over the money for that condition, you're feeling the side effects of the medication, you're limited in how you can live your life, you know, all those things that wrap up, you know, that disease condition. You're also exposing yourself to other comorbidities or other diseases. So oftentimes people with type 2 diabetes will often at some point get heart disease and possibly even chronic kidney disease and kidney failure and have to go on dialysis and 
and which is, you know, a real, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a scary thing. So, you know, when you're looking at your life, you kind of have to ask yourself, you know, looking at my lifespan, how many of those years do I want to have a nice health span versus being sick? And so, you know, we have this choice that we can make. And the only thing keeping us from doing something different is our, our a barrier in our head. And so kind of bringing awareness to that barrier and finding evidence to the contrary of that barrier. For example, and Alyssa brought up some excellent points. You know, the barrier is I think eating plant-based is eating lettuce all day and I can't eat lettuce all day. Okay, there's a couple barriers there, right? One, you know, plant-based is not just eating lettuce. And two, you know, if you really like lettuce, you can eat it all day. I mean, I wouldn't, as a nutritionist, I'm all about variety and all that. But my point is, is my point is that you've got, you know, you've got some limiting beliefs that are creating these barriers that are keeping you from living your full life and having that long health span, those years where you're healthy and disease free. And so a lot of times what I find is that when people really stop and think about it, because most people are on autopilot. I was on autopilot for, for years. Yeah. You know, when you, when you get off of autopilot and you stop and really think about it and you really think about why do I care about my health? You know, I care about my health because I've got children and I want to be there for them. And they're, and if they want to have kids, I want to be a grandma and, be there for them. You know, there's what, what is your reason for wanting to be healthy? And then start with that and then look for those, those indicators or evidence to the contrary of those limiting beliefs. You know, I think that eating a whole food plant-based diet is eating, you know, salad and, and tree bark. Well, look for evidence to the contrary. My goodness, how many websites are there out there that do nothing but vegan recipes and whole food plant-based recipes? And do those recipes really look like tree bark? No. So look for that evidence. Expose yourself to that different, you know, way of eating. You know, learn what's in it. Really appreciate the nutrients that are in it and what it's doing to your body to heal your body and increase those years of health span. And then look at why, and then go back to why you did this, you know? And I think when people do get off that autopilot train and really stop and think about it and then expose themselves and, and really start to learn to embrace that, I think, I think, you know, what I've seen is they eventually come around. I mean, for me, it took me five years to come around. I mean, for other people, it's taken them like two minutes. So... <laughs> Yeah. 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 Go ahead. I'm sorry. Um, I was gonna say I like what you made the point about how some of the celebrities are starting to talk about this issue. I really feel strongly that as we move towards more empowerment and taking control of our own issues within our community. Is going to take the talents and the, the mindset of people from different areas of life, not just our political scholars or our social activists. Like myself, my background was in adult behavior. 
So I was a trainer. I learned how to persuade people to make different choices. People with my skill set working with someone who's done all the studies about why things are the way they are and have ideas about what they would like to see changed. Together, we can help to move that needle. And our celebrities and influence, that is something that we have. Yeah, there's still issues, but our music, our slang, our way of dressing, the way we wear our hair impacts the world. If we tap into that power, we can make changes for ourselves. And when we make the change, they're going to make the change. So we have a lot of power that we're not using. And I hope that we can begin to recognize who we are already. You know, not just, oh, we were kings and queens in Africa. We have influence now. And people are benefiting from our power where some of our people are not. And we can change that. Yeah. And I, yeah, and I think, and I think the bombarding of the information, because I think the simplicity of food being medicine seems just too simple. You know, we kind of live in a culture that we're, we're so prone to the medicine and the drugs. And so when you try to tell somebody that, listen, it's simply food, it's kind of brushed off. And I think if we could continue to just link the science to the food and show, you know, the death rates and the blue zones and people that are living longer and what beans can do for you and whole grains and fruits, you live longer just by eating fruits and more vegetables and what they actually do, that type of education, I feel it's almost like, you know, that can also empower because, a lot of people don't realize it. And I feel like when I got into the plant-based living myself, I felt like, where was this all my life? I felt like I didn't know this and I didn't know of anybody that knew it. And so I kind of felt like this was something I felt like I should have been taught or I should have known this. And again, we can get into the policy side of things again and talk about the fact that, you know, children should be taught just like health, you know, mm-hmm. children should taught health in schools. We should be teaching it in high schools. We should be showing um, kids how to, you know, how, what you eat and all of that, how it's related to your health. And that's another thing that we could, you know, that that's, that's bigger, that could be a policy driven thing um, in terms of just educating that that should be a mandate. The kids should know finances and they should know food health because these are the determinants of, of longevity and, and their outcome in life. Yeah, I, I think though, I think part of the issue is that when you look at physicians, um, most of them don't receive nutrition training in school. There's a whole organization, um, American College of Lifestyle Medicine um, and the Plantrition Project. There's another organization whose mission is really to um, teach physicians because they didn't learn it in med- medical school. Yes. The power of, you know, food and other lifestyle behaviors in combating chronic diseases. And so I think part of the problem is that, you know, we have to teach our doctors because people do look to physicians to give them nutrition yeah. advice, even though they haven't been trained in it. Um, some of them haven't been, tra- a lot of them haven't been trained. I think the statistics are like less than I think 20% of medical schools have any nutrition or have like one nutrition course. And it's not really, it's, you know, it's more on acute care, you know, like feeding, feeding tubes and that kind of thing, not really on chronic disease prevention. 
But, um, you know, these organizations exist because they see that gap and they're trying to close it. Um, but, you know, until it changes in medical schools that, you know, um, that, that, you know, up and coming physicians receive this type of education and training, I think it's going to be a challenge to expect, you know, yeah. secondary schools, elementary schools, you know, to really learn, unless there's some nonprofit who has this grassroots mission to kind of go in and teach them about farm to table and, you know, where plant foods come from, but it's not, you know, it's not a systemic, um, mm -hmm. you know, type yeah. of thing. And it and just seems like that's going to be such a challenge to try to do it only from a systemic level. Because we would have to go in with the idea that their goal is to make people well. I don't know that yeah. it is. Well, I think yeah. their goal is to make money. Yes. So yes. If, yes. if our health yes. isn't necessarily the pri priority, right. that change is going to be a long time coming. Right. Yeah. But, I'm sad. yeah. <laughs> so if we yeah. can't get it in secondary schools, we can start programs in churches. We can have our sororities. We have institutions where we can do it for our own kids. Because so I just don't think that we're going to get as much traction mm -hmm. only trying to do it systemically. Oh, yeah. I no, it's not. Yeah, it has to be all. Yeah, it right. has to be all inclusive because, uh, because it's going to take a long time for the community to acknowledge. I mean, even when you look at the smoking industry, they mm -hmm. had known for like maybe 40 years, they had the science saying that smoking caused cancer. Right. But because of all the lobbying and the battling and the money and the this and the that, that didn't trickle down to the population. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so I understand the concept that we really can't wait, you know, and it, but at the same time, you know, like you said, it's something that has to be just, you just have to attack both from each side. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And understanding how the food is distributed in this country and, you know, them going to just corn syrup. Just in the 70s when they decided to be heavily rely on corn syrup. There's all kind of reasons behind that decision that we're not necessarily privy to, yes. but we get the result. And who knows what the next scheme is going to be? There's just no way to know what the powers that be are thinking. Right. But they can't make you diet. Yeah, that's going to be an, imp that's an important point you brought up because that high fructose corn syrup, you know, and the, and the saturated fats and all these things that they're using in the foods, they're designed to make us addicted. And mm -hmm. so even though we're going to the, we're, we're telling people, you know, get off of these foods, there has to be this kind of acknowledgement that there's an addiction to it. You know, and and how do we address it from that perspective? Yeah, and I, I think, you know, I wrote an article. Um, it was I titled it Keeping People Sick, a Sustainable Business Model. And it talks about the whole razor, razor blade model of the medical industry. And I think what people are going to have to ask themselves is, do I want to play in that space? You know, do I want to be the, you know, be that revenue machine for the companies that profit off of my illness? And mm -hmm. I think when you when you think about it that way, I think, you know, you can make a conscious choice and say, well, yeah, I, I do want to play in that space. But I think most people 
you know, are going to look at that and say, no, you know, I don't want, I don't want this company, these companies and these businesses, this whole sick care industry to make money off of my illness. I don't want to do that. I would, you know, I would rather, you know, I don't know, go on a runcation or, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, or put more money in my grandkids college fund or something, you know, whatever that is. And so I think, I think when, when you see that link between disease and your lifestyle, um, which, you know, is largely food, but there's other things, you know, obviously smoking and physical activity or being sedentary and so forth. Mm-hmm. But when you, when you look at those lifestyle things that you have control over, that you can change and that link with the disease, then you can kind of see yourself in that business model or not. Yeah. Yeah. So what would you say to someone, you know, they're listening to this, they have a chronic disease of some sort. Um, What does that look like on an everyday basis? Where do I start? How do I change my plate? What does it look like? Where do I begin? Well, so there's lots of resources. I offer resources, but there's a ton of other places like Forks Over Knives, um, the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. Um, Like I said, I've got I've got some free resources as well. And I've got some that are a little more involved that are more paid courses, but um, there's so much out there. Um, I would say start with um, Forks Over Knives or the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. And then look at, you know, if you're on social media, I would say look into some, some specific Facebook groups, you know, um, there's a John McDougal Facebook group, there's an Eat Plants Love Facebook group, there's a ton of them out there and join, join several, several, you know, there's no harm in joining multiple ones and use that forum to find community and ask questions, um, and I would say, you know, and then just start experimenting, start with breakfast. You know, if you usually eat like a, I have a friend that would eat a sausage, cheese, bacon sandwich from the gas station, just switching to oatmeal, you know, for breakfast or um, trying a green smoothie um, with, you know, a dark leafy green and some uh, banana and some berries, you know, just try that and see, you know, see what that's like. And then just gradually just start adding things to your, to your plate, you know, and having those things kind of crowd out the other things that are on your plate that you would normally put on your plate. Yeah, it's one meal at a time. And I think, um, I think no one's expecting, I mean, if you could do it all in one day, that's great. But I think that the, I think the message is one meal at a time. And, you know, have your plate filled with nutrient dense foods. Um, yeah. And providing the education, because at one point I realized that when we say nutrient dense or we say, you know, nutritional, sometimes people don't necessarily know what does that translate into? Right. Um, you know, what, what does that actually mean? What types of food are nutritional? Is it the Cheerios that says whole grain on the front? You know, so there's so many mixed messages in our advertising and the way foods are portrayed that, you know, a lot of times people get sucked into the processed food, whole, um, what do you call it, processed food that's supposedly um, healthy. And so this is why it's so important to really just emphasize that if people could just, and I think you said it, Gigi, in the beginning, if people could just eat food 
closest to its most natural state, you know? Mm -hmm. So if you wanted to eat an, you know, you could get apple pop tarts and you can go right to the very apple and there's applesauce in between. And so if people could understand that it, the more closer you get to the, the actual food itself is the better it is for us and that all foods aren't equal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think I, sometimes, I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. I heard, I heard one physician say um, a lifestyle medicine doctor say, if it's from a plant, eat it. If it's made in a plant, don't eat it. And so, <laughs> that was yeah. Good advice. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a good one. And for some people, we're going to have to unlearn some of the lessons we learned at home. Like I, we grew up with canned vegetables. It didn't occur to me for a long time that that's really not the best thing for you or that iceberg lettuce and kale or spinach, not the same things. There's just no nutritional value to iceberg lettuce, but that's what my salads were always made from. So some of it is just taking what you know, but tweaking it and understanding that you might need to do some research on what you've learned to do. Right, right. And there is a food index um, that's available that people can actually look at. And I think Dr. Furman created that, but that's something that we could, I could post in the, um, in the link and basically in the show notes, it shows you the, the quality of food, you know, so it shows you what would be at the highest and what would be at the lowest. And, you know, you could kind of work around it and some you'll have a little low, some you'll have middle and, and, you know, you try to make the majority of your plate at the high points. Um, and so, you know, education is, like you said, knowledge, because you just, you just think, sometimes you just think that all foods are equal. Um, mm-hmm. and I think you mentioned this GG too, is just eating the diversity, you know, being able to, to, and I, and I find for my personal self is that I ate when I wasn't eating plant-based, my diet was limited. And like you, Gigi, I felt like once I went past base, that was it. My life was over. I, I didn't know, you know, what was going to happen. And my, my food life was going down, but actually it did the opposite. And I ended up eating a far more variety of different kinds of foods than I've ever eaten when I wasn't plant-based. And so there is this misconception, but when you get over to that other side, you're pleasantly surprised that you actually eat better, have more options. Um, and there's just so much more of a diversity of foods that you end up on your plate. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. So any, any other comments that anybody wanted to make um, just in terms of encouraging, um, you know, breaking the barriers for the Black community in terms of, you know, it's time to get healthy. I think, you know, COVID-19 is a reset for the entire country, but I think specifically for the Black community, it's an important opportunity that we can reset, that we can make some changes, you know, we don't have to dig a grave with a fork. Um, mm-hmm. We can't empower ourselves. And so any last encouragements or comments or insights that you wanted to say to somebody that was listening that was like, you know, well, yeah, I'm, I'm for this. Tell me more. You know, what should I do? How should I look at it? Yeah, I, I would I would say from my end that taking control of my health was the most empowering thing that I've ever done for myself. And it's one of those things where I, the only regret I have is not doing it sooner. Honestly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
just a plug for a lot of the vegan soul food and Caribbean restaurants that are opening around the country. If you have access to one, please bear in mind that a lot of restaurants are really going to be struggling coming out of COVID-19. And black companies in particular were pretty hard hit. So that'd be a way to do well by doing good, support those facilities if you have access to them, try the food, you might like it, and that can be your first step to your personal health journey. Wonderful, wonderful. So Gigi, um, tell everyone, we'll start with you, where they can find you um, on social media and your website, let everyone know where they can find you. Yeah, I would say the best place to go is my website, mytrueself.com. From there, you can find links to my other social media um, pages. I've got a YouTube channel. um, I've got Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn as well. Wonderful. And Alyssa, where can they find you? My company is called thatiswhatido.com, and it is primarily aimed towards small business owners who want help with their marketing strategy. So I can help you put together websites and that kind of thing. But what I really concentrate on is making sure that they understand what they're marketing towards and that they have a strategy to get there. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, ladies, it was a pleasure having you guys both on the show and your insight um, was very valuable. And uh, I wish you guys the best on all your endeavors as we all fight this battle of food and faith and and hopefully our communities will be better for it thank you for having us thank you so much thank you you've been listening to the eat your best life the podcast you can follow us on facebook and instagram please don't forget to subscribe rate and review this podcast on itunes until next time thank you for listening